Jewish audio on Chabad.org. This week is a very special Shabbat. This week, thousands of the Rebbe's shluchim emissaries around the world are gathering together. So it would be so appropriate if this week we share with you a special insight and story that directly relates to this week's Torah portion, but also connects to the message, the theme, and the inspiration that we get from the Rebbe and his emissaries all across the globe. This week's Torah portion talks about the very first match in Jewish history. Yitzchak, Isaac, marrying Rebekah, Yitzchak and Rivka together. It's very interesting that the Torah tells us at great length everything that happened during that entire interaction. How Abraham sent his servant Eliezer to go find the match. And the Torah goes at great length to tell us all the details of that journey and that effort and that transaction. And the question is why? What's the relevance? Why is it so important to us to be privy to all those details? And the Rebbe explains in a very fundamental talk that the Rebbe gave at the gathering of the Shluchim in 1992, where the Rebbe shares that we need to understand that what happens at that moment of the marriage of Rivka and Yitzchak, of Isaac and Rebekah, was not a singular moment that was relevant only at that time. It wasn't just a particular event that happened in our history. Rather, it's relevant to our lives every single day. Because what did that represent? What was that marriage of Yitzchak and Rivka all about? It was the unification of the highest with the lowest. It was achieving the ultimate purpose of creation, which is bringing the greatest heavenly lights to the lowest, simplest, coarsest, darkest places. Because think about it, Yitzchak was the son of Avraham, grew up in such a sacred home, in such a holy environment. Rebecca, Rivka grew up in Haran, a place of darkness, surrounded by evil and negativity. And here we create the union of the two together, which in Kabbalistic terms is referred to as the union of Ma'uban, the above and the below. In other words, that moment of the marriage of Yitzchak and Rivka represents the purpose and the reason why we are here every single day. We are here for one reason, to create a union of the highest with the lowest. Every single one of us is comprised of two elements, our body and our soul. The soul is the highest of the high, the body is the lowest of the low. But the truth is that the body has within it tremendous holiness and spiritual potential. But it's up to us to allow the soul to leverage its power to lift up the body, to create that union of the godliness with the materialism. Every time we do a mitzvah, every time we do a good deed, every time we share a word of Torah and another mitzvah and godly moment with another Jew, we are creating the unification of ma'uban, of the highest and the lowest together. This is what Shlichus is all about. This is why the Rebbe sent thousands of emissaries around the world. And this is why every single one of you in the Chabad house here tonight, or wherever you may be listening to the story, you need to feel that same burning mission to create the unification of the highest and the lowest, the merging of the body and the soul, the revelation of the greatest lights, even in the darkest of places. This is our mission. This is our mandate. This is our calling. This is where we are every single day. So I want to invite you now to join me as we step back from the global, wow, unbelievable network of the Rebbe's emissaries and we zoom into one individual moment of one Jew doing a mitzvah. Because you see, while it's unbelievable that there are thousands of Chabad houses around the world and it's amazing to look at that picture of so many shluchim, so many rabbis all together representing world jury, what's even more meaningful and more unique and more special is that one individual moment when one Jew is doing one mitzvah with his shliach, his shlucha, his rabbi, his rebbetzin, or with another fellow Jew. 
That one mitzvah, that one moment is the marriage of Yitzchak and Rivka. That one moment is the ultimate unification of the highest and the lowest. That one moment is what the world is really all about and why we are here to bring godliness into that particular space. So therefore, for this week's story, as I was thinking about the hundreds of amazing stories out there about Shluchim and Chabad houses and impact and reach and global, global impact, I thought it would be most meaningful if we zoom into one moment, one Jew so far away doing one mitzvah. Open up your hearts, my friends, for a story that took place almost 40 years ago when Rabbi Yitzchak first was just beginning his assignment as the Chabad representative, the Rebbe's emissary in Holland. Shortly before Passover, Rabbi Vorst was sitting in the Chabad house when he received a phone call from the headquarters, 770 in Brooklyn, New York. On the phone was Rabbi Chadakov, the Rebbe's personal secretary, telling him the Rebbe wants him to go to a certain small town and give Shmura matzah, the special matzah that's handmade from flour to a specific individual Jew who lives in that town. The young Rabbi Vorst asked for the name of this Jew. But he was told the Rebbe did not mention any names. However, Rabbi Chadakov, the Rebbe's secretary, assured him that once you get to that town, you will find that Jew. Now, at that time, Rabbi Vorst was very consumed and busy with Passover preparations. He began to explain to the Rebbe's secretary that this town was many hours drive, and it's just so busy and making preparations for the large communal seder and giving out matzahs and he doesn't really believe there's any Jews there anyways. But of course, the Rebbe's secretary, Rabbi Chadikov, was firm and he said, the Rebbe said, you should leave tomorrow for this town. There's no choice. Well, sure enough, my friends, you get an order, you do it. The next morning, even though he was busy with larger events and great programming, Rabbi Forrest packed a lunch and he spent the entire day driving to this secluded Favorfina town in the middle of nowhere. And once he got there, he spent hours searching and inquiring, are there any Jews in this town? To no avail. Rabbi? Jews? We don't know what you're talking about. He finally decided that this expedition must have been an unsuccessful mission. And he went to fill his car with some gas for the return trip. As he's filling up the gas, the attendant at the station says, hey, you look like a Jew, like a rabbi. What brought you to town? So Rabbi Vorst felt there's nothing to lose. He told him the whole story. Well, at that moment, the attendant at the gas station says, you know, Rabbi, I think there's a worker at the local butcher shop who actually is Jewish. Well, Rabbi Vorst heard that. He quickly finished putting the fuel in his car and he made his way to that shop telling himself, this is probably a false lead. I got to get back. I have so much to do for Passover. He was thinking on the largest scale. He was thinking about the impact that he has on his community at large. He was starting to lose the ability to search for that one Jew like a needle in a haystack. But sure enough, my friends, join me as we stand alongside Rabbi Vorst when he enters this small little butcher shop in this tiny town in the middle of nowhere on the country roads in the rural areas of Holland. When he walks in and the man behind the counter took one look at him and literally faints. Bam! On the floor. Rabbi Vorst comes rushing over, quickly revives the man, gives him a drink of water, sits him down on the chair behind the counter. And says, what is going on? My friends, open up your hearts for the story that this Jew, this person, in this small butcher shop, in this forsaken town, tells Rabbi Vorst. You should know that my mother and I are the only survivors of my entire family in the horrors of the Holocaust. We were so destroyed from deep within 
that we decided to just go as far as we can away from anything Jewish. The horrors that we experienced, the losses that we faced in the Holocaust, literally killed our soul. We were done. We moved to the secluded part of Holland to avoid any further persecution. Nobody should know that I am a Jew. But then my mother died. And on her deathbed, she made me swear to never marry a non-Jewish girl and to always remember who I am. I need to keep that Jewish spark going in our family. Rabbi, you need to understand something. My mother died five years ago. I'm alone. I have no one, no family, just my friends. This is my friend. This is my community. This is everything I have. But my mother's words are ringing in the back of my mind and I can't live. The last few months, the local priest has begun coming to my butcher shop and began to convince me and talk to me and try to lure me into their faith. We had long discussions, but I always knew I can't do that. How can I convert when my mother asked me? But Rabbi, and how he began to cry, and he said, I want you to know that recently the priest began to make headway. One of his arguments was that God has surely abandoned me. Look, you're the only Jew in this area. No one knows about you. No one cares about you. You don't exist in the Jewish world. You're not alive. You're not even around in the Jewish arena. Therefore, you need to convert, become part of a community, our community. We'll embrace you. You'll be part of our family. And sure enough, Rabbi, I have to admit that his body began to shake as he said these words. After months of being worn down, I agreed to be baptized. But I told the priest, give me three more days, three more days to deal with that guilt, to deal with that voice of my mother in the back of my head. I was so alone. I was so confused. I was so depressed. How could I abandon my faith? How could I, God forbid, ignore the vow that I gave my mother? But then I realized, what should I do? I'm alone. The priest is right. No one even cares about me or knows about me. So Rabbi, I want you to know that I looked up to heaven and I said, I will wait for you, dear God, to show me a sign that you're watching over me. If I don't see anything from you by tonight, on the third day, I will convert. And sure enough, Rabbi, one day went by and another day. It's been so difficult for me to work. The third day arrived, no sign. I've been looking at the clock all day. It's been less than five hours left before I agreed to make this happen. And now, Rabbi, I said to God, I guess there's no sign. I guess it's over. I was getting ready to close my store. And at 5.55, Rabbi, you walked in with matzah from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And with that, the man fell on the shoulders of Rabbi Vorst, crying his heart out, his soul ignited. Rabbi Vorst begged the man to come back with him to spend Passover together. And the man agreed. Every step of the way was a new beginning for this man. He's never been exposed to Judaism in years. After Passover, he thanked the rabbi and he left. And the rabbi maintained connection with him to the best of his ability. 25 years later, 25 years later, Rabbi Verse traveled to Jerusalem for the wedding of a relative. He was praying devoutly at the Western Wall, deep in concentration. When he heard his name being called and he felt the big hug, someone schlepping him, he turned around and he saw a large burly man with a kippah and a beard. And the man says in Dutch, Rabbi, don't you recognize me? I am so-and-so from this and this town. I spent Passover in your home one year. I live now in Jerusalem with my family. I owe everything to you. My friends, that moment in that small forsaken town where Rabbi Vorch traveled so many hours to meet that one Jew and give him that one matzah. That wasn't just a small moment. That wasn't just a bleep on the radar screen. That was the union of Yitzchak and Rivka. That was the moment of the unification of the godliness within his soul, with his body. That was the moment that changed the course of history for this man and his future. 
Let's not underestimate the power of one mitzvah with one Jew in one moment. Shabbat Shalom.